Good morning. And, uh, happy New Year to everyone today. <laughs> I'm not sure you're awake this morning, but uh, you're, you're out there. I can see you, but uh, you don't seem to be awake. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a mother and a father? Okay, pretty much everybody. Okay, I don't know why some of you don't raise your hands. Okay, how many of you, how many of you were the last born in your family? Okay. You know, mom and dad loved us best, right? Like, like really. If you, if you're honest, you know, mom and dad loves the last born best. I'm one of the last born. You see, I raised my hand, so I know it. And actually, it's interesting in our family right now. The, the three of us that are that are at home, we're all the last born, so you know we know you know we know where we stand in the family. You know, mom and dad all loves us best because we're the youngest, right? We're obviously we're going to be loved the most. Obviously, we're going to be mom and dad's favorite because we're the youngest. We're the last one in the family, um, so you know we know that's that's almost that's almost natural. And I'm kind of joking here too, of course. You know. In families, it would be great if we were all treated equally. If somehow uh, in a family all the children could be uh, treated equally, everyone was just uh, handled exactly the same. But that's not the reality. And we know, even from our own experience, uh, that's not the reality. Whether it's experience from... uh, being in a fam- being a child in a family and seeing how mom and dad treat their, my siblings differently, or if you're in the in the context of being a parent, um, how difficult it really is to treat uh, everyone just the same. There's a couple reasons for it um, uh, that 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 are very natural. One is that that all children are different. And so, how can you treat everyone the same because every person is a little bit different and so you have to treat them differently because they're different people. So, you know, that naturally happens. The other thing that naturally happens too, especially with if you have more than one child, is you start to, uh, uh, you know, the, the parents treat the children differently as they learn. You know, let's, let's be honest, none of us know everything about parenting and certainly at your first child you know, uh, you know very little and then, and then, as uh, after, then, when and then if there's a second one comes along, you've you've learned something, and so you change how you uh, interact with the kids. And so uh, there's there's all sorts of dynamics that go on in a family uh, that that change. But ultimately, families there's there's always some problems in families. Families should be safe places with great opportunities. Uh, to be supported and to grow and mature and develop. Too many times families are not actually like that. Too many times families have problems. And today I want us to look at a family that isn't working well at all. We see some serious problems in the family and yet God is at work in and through that family. So we're going to be looking at Joseph. And his family. And so, for the next few times that I'm going to be speaking today, and 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 uh, in the few times over the next month that I'm going to be speaking, we're going to be taking some time to look at Joseph, and to see what we can learn from this figure in the Bible that we find in the Bible in the book of Genesis. 
And Joseph and his story actually fill uh, quite a number of chapters in the book of Genesis. So we turn to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to find Joseph. And we find... uh, We first read about Joseph really in Genesis chapter 37, and that's where we're going to start today. And the rest of the book of Genesis from chapter 37 to chapter 50 is all about Joseph. There's one chapter 38 is kind of an aside, but but those last chapters of the book of Genesis are all about Joseph. And so we need to to take some time and think about Joseph. Take a a few uh, times to, to look and to stop and to visit Joseph and see what's going on in his life and and try and learn some lessons from that. But let's review a little bit of of history. Do you remember Abraham? Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 12, we read about God picking Abraham. God selected him and God chose Abraham. And God said to Abraham, he, He leads him to the promised land. This is where... Abraham is going to settle. This is where, uh, and Abraham doesn't realize it at the time, but this is where the nation of Israel is going to be founded in the promised land. And so God takes Abraham and He leads him to the promised land. Then He takes him out of the promised land into Egypt and then finally back into the promised land, into Israel. Abraham had some children, but he only had one son with his wife Sarah. And that actually happened when Abraham was quite old. You may remember the story when God tells Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a baby. And they laugh at God. Because Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. And they say, how can can that be possible? Look at us. Look at how old we are. We're way beyond the the years that we can uh, be having children. But there is a child born. Almost a miracle baby. And he was born in, uh, we read about that in Genesis 21. And that child is Isaac. And Isaac has a couple of sons, one of whom is named Jacob. Jacob is about 15 years old when his grandfather Abraham passes away. But this was a family that did have some issues. Today we might call that family a dysfunctional family. There are men that have more than one wife. There are uh, it's a, what we might call today a blended family where there are uh, children born of, uh, of, uh, of different mothers living together in the family. There are uh, brothers and sisters deceiving one another, leading one another astray and taking advantage of one another and fighting within the family. It's not uh, really the kind of family that you might want to be a part of. Yet the reality might be that This resonates with you, that this is a family uh, that I come from. The reality of life is that we are not all from perfect families. And that's going to be hard. It's not that, uh, that anyone sets out for this to happen, but it does happen. Then we, so we have Jacob. Jacob is visited in a dream by God, and God restates to Jacob the promises that he has made to Abraham. He adds also some additional, God gives Jacob some additional information about what's going to happen to Jacob in his life. Jacob has this amazing encounter with God where he wrestles with God. And God appears to Jacob and God renames Jacob and gives him the name Israel. And Jacob comes to realize 
that the God of Abraham, the God of his grandfather, is also uh, his God. That God. That God, Yahweh, has blessed him and has chosen him. Jacob then goes on and he has many sons. And one of these sons is named Joseph. And so Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. Joseph never knew Abraham. Abraham had passed away before Joseph came on the scene. But Joseph, or Abraham is Joseph's great-grandfather. And here in Genesis chapter 37, the story turns and we start to look at Joseph. But before we really look at, the, at Joseph, and the logical place to start looking at the life of Joseph is at the beginning, but it's really helpful to look at the end of the story first. If you like to read novels, sometimes you like to jump to the end to get to and read the final chapter to find out how it ends so you're not in suspense as you read through the novel. And uh, it maybe sometimes helps you to understand what's happening in the book as you're reading it because you know how it going, is going to end. It's helpful for us too as we look at the life of Joseph to look at the end and to get a clue for what we're going to be looking for as we look at, uh, at Joseph. So we turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And it says, this is Joseph speaking later in years as, as time goes on, Joseph is speaking to his brothers and his father. And he says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. As we look at the book, as we at the book of Genesis and as we look at the life of Joseph, that needs to remain in the back of our minds. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And we need to understand all that happens in the life of Joseph through that grid that somehow God is at work intending this for good. And as I was, uh, as we were singing, I was, I was reminded of that as we were singing one of the songs uh, uh, just in, a, in our set today. We have overcome because our God is able. Not in our own strength. Not in our own power. But because God is able. Joseph overcomes the obstacles he faces. The challenges and the difficulties he faces in life. Because God is able. Because God is able. And so that's what we see as we look through uh, the book of Genesis. And as we look at the life of, of Joseph. Let's take a quick look at Genesis chapter 37 uh, just to, to give us that context of who was Joseph and what was happening and then we'll try and uh, draw a few points out of it. We see in Genesis chapter 37 verse 2 that Joseph is, it begins with Joseph is a young man, 17 years old. He is out with his uh, brothers. Uh, that uh, It tells us that he was out with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zopah. So these are brothers, half-brothers really, that are brothers from a different mother but the same father. And uh, they were doing what they tended to do at that time. They were out tending the animals, looking after the family business, if you will. Joseph is giving his father reports. It says in verse 2, he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph was somewhat of a spy, if you want to use that term. He was a tattletale. And so you know that, uh, uh, that this is not going to bode well already for the family dynamics. When you have Joseph is not the youngest, but he's the second youngest in the family who's going back and reporting to dad what his brothers are doing and not bringing a good report. 
think about that for a minute. That's going to make him unpopular right there, isn't it? As the youngest, I can say that one of the things, one of the worst things for me to do in my family would be to tell mom and dad what my older brothers and sisters were doing. I, I, there, there might be some immediate uh, impact on that uh, that I might enjoy as mom and dad uh, uh, dealt with what my brothers and sisters were doing. Uh, but the long-term impact on my own life was going to be very, very negative. I still have to live with my brothers and sisters and they would find a way to torment me, wouldn't they? And that's what, that's what, that's what happened. This was not appreciated by his older siblings here. And the, you see, it goes on. Verses 3 and 4, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Okay, so now you have some favoritism happening here. Uh, Dad loves Joseph more. But he doesn't even try and hide it. He buys Joseph this richly ornamented robe, this robe of many colors, some translations might say, and, and puts it on Joseph just to say, look, here's my favorite one. And you can imagine in a family, that does not go over well either. So we have some family issues. His brothers don't appreciate it. It says in verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They were, there was not a little irritation. This was not a little dislike. But they hated Joseph. They hated him. You can almost feel it though yourself, can't you? Here's your brother. You watch your brother. You know he's spying on you. You know he's taking your father bad reports. Your father is clearly favoring him. Is that going to endear any love in your heart towards your brother? Not really. Then Joseph, the story gets worse. Joseph has a dream. And the, 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 the dream is that his brothers are going to bow down and worship him. And Joseph tells his brothers this. Oh, now this situation is just going from bad to worse. Joseph is just making this a mess here. His brothers don't appreciate this. His brothers said to him in verse 8, it says, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. Who is this young fellow? What's going on here? This isn't how it should go. And you feel sorry for the oldest son because you know this is, you know, typically this is how it should go. The oldest son should be in charge of things. And here, one of the youngest ones is doing this. Oh, you can, you can just feel it, can't you? They don't appreciate this. Then Joseph has another dream, and this time from in, in verse 9 to 11, it's very similar, except it says the parents are also going to bow down to Joseph. And it says when he told, when Joseph told his father, father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. So this didn't go over well with dad either now. But it says, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. So add jealousy to the hatred here. But his father kept the matter in mind. His father knew something was, was happening. His father didn't like this dream, but he remembered it. And so the story goes on uh, as we move through uh, into Genesis chapter 37 in verse 14. Um, uh, his, the, the father Israel sends Joseph to, uh, to, to spy, to, to check up on his brothers. 
It says, so he, so Israel said to Joseph, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back word to me. So here, uh, Joseph, or Israel sends Joseph out uh, to spy on his brothers again. Now, to be fair to Joseph, there seems to be, and we certainly see it later in Joseph's life, that we we see Joseph was was a bright guy. He was talented. He seems to be honest and hardworking and, and have a lot of integrity. And we'll see that as we move on in the life of Joseph. So in some ways, it makes sense that, uh, uh, that Joseph gets sent to do that. Obviously, his father trusts him. He's a trustworthy fellow. And so, so he, uh, Israel, sends the most trustworthy one to go and, and get the report. But his brothers don't appreciate it. Verses 17 uh, and 18 Joseph goes and he finds his brothers. And it says, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. Verse 18, But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. The hatred and the jealousy had reached its peak. His brothers couldn't take it anymore. They see him coming, and they say, let's kill him. Let's get rid of this guy. We've had it. That's enough. We're going to take him. We're going to kill him. This is how bad the family dynamic has become. And so they come up with a plan. They say, here comes that dreamer. Verse 20, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. They want to overturn the dreams that Joseph has had. And so they plan to kill him. And they're taking it seriously. There's one good guy among the brothers, though. Verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him, rescue Joseph from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern, into this hole in the ground in the desert. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So among the brothers, there's one good guy. There's one with a conscience who says this isn't a good plan. So let them throw him into the cistern and leave him for dead. And later on, I'll come back and I'll pull him out and we'll take him back. Reuben didn't want to have a part of this plan. But Reuben's plan doesn't work out. So somehow Reuben leaves and uh, leaves the other brothers with Joseph. And they, they, they see this caravan of Ishmaelites coming. And they say, let's, let's do something profitable here. Let's sell our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's not throw him in the cistern. Here's another plan. We're going to sell him into slavery. And so we'll end up getting something out of this. Well, that seems like a good idea. We might as well, we might as well benefit from him. We, we achieve our, our goal, which is to get rid of this guy. And uh, we'll also make a little profit from him. And so they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. Um, don't know how much that was worth, but uh, but uh, but they they made a little profit now out of Joseph. Uh, but we see a little problem. Verse twenty nine. It says, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. Okay, Reuben's plan now to rescue Joseph has been foiled. This is just not turning out very well. It's not a good day for Joseph, and he's been being sold into slavery. And Reuben's plan to rescue Joseph has failed. It's uh, 
things are not going well. And then the story takes us back. They, 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 they uh, spoil the robe. They got Joseph's robe and they put blood on it and then they take it back to their father and say, look, now, your son is dead. He's been eaten by some animal. And so poor Israel, his favorite son is dead. And for almost the next 20 years, he goes through life thinking that his favorite son has died. But we end the chapter in chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So here we have in uh, chapter 37 of Genesis a, a story of family conflict, of generational issues, of jealousy and hatred. Sounds a bit like a TV soap opera with all these characters that are doing all these things. And it's almost something like you see on Dr. Phil, you know, where they're all, the families are all there and it's just a, a real troubled uh, situation. So here in Genesis 37, we see some things. We see a couple of things. First of all, we see are some, the first thing we see are some flawed people. We see flawed people here. Joseph himself, although he does seem to be wise and his wisdom and his hard working, his ethic uh, seems to uh, serve him well, somehow he, he doesn't seem too wise in dealing with this family situation. He is almost rubbing his brother's noses in the fact that he is favorite, he is better than them. And that doesn't, just doesn't seem uh, too wise to me. Israel, the father, he shows open favoritism to, the, to other children. That doesn't seem uh, to be the best way to run a family. And there are the brothers plotting a murder of, of one of their brothers. And it's not just idle thinking, but they are determined to carry out this plan. And it's only because uh, some other option comes along and because of the influence of Reuben, the oldest on the, on the brothers, that they come up with some other plan. Life for Joseph would have been very difficult, I think. Sometimes life and family is like that. You know, I myself grew up in a, in a fairly um, uh, good family, I would say. Yeah, we, we struggled brothers and sisters, but, uh, uh, we, but it, wasn't that, it wasn't really that bad. And I have a good relationship with my brothers and sisters now. And we saw mom and dad doing their very best to, to raise us the best they could. But when I was about 10 or 11, I had a, a, a friend who was a neighbor just two doors down from, my, from where I lived. And he was a year older than me. And he had two sisters. One was a little bit older than him. One was my age, just a little bit younger. And those sisters would pick on him mercilessly. And I would be with the four of them. The, the, the four of us would be together sometimes. And those two sisters would pick on him mercilessly. And it was just awful for them to sit there and watch. And then, and then he, would, he would reach the end of his rope and he'd lash out either verbally or physically at his sisters. And then his sisters, as one, would run to Dad. And I saw this happening. They would run to Dad. And they would say, Dad, you know, his name was Derek. They'd say, you know what Derek did to us? And then a minute later, I'd see Dad at the back door yelling, Derek, come here. 
And two minutes later, Derek would come out and he'd be crying because his dad had taken his belt off and beaten him. And the two of us would sit in the backyard, Derek crying his eyes out, and me just in turmoil at the injustice of this. Because I never saw that sort of thing in my family. And it was like, this is awful. And me as a ten-year-old, what, what can I do? And so I'd sit there with Derek. Some families are like that. And I think this was the kind of family that maybe Joseph was in. These are flawed people in this family. But we're all flawed in a way. Isaiah 53.6 says, we, are, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Sometimes life and family is like that. None of us are perfect. None of us are better than any of these people we meet here in Genesis 37. Yet God uses us. Despite our weaknesses and our imperfections, despite the flawed people that we are, God uses us. Despite our life situation or the flawed people around us or our own flaws, God is at work in us and is in control. We sang, we sang, we have overcome, our God is able. We have overcome. Our God is able. It's only through God that we can overcome these situations. God uses us in spite of our past and our problems. God uses our, our past and our problems. He actually uses them and uses us and uses what our background to uh, accomplish what He wants. We're not any better than Joseph's brothers, really. We're all sinners. Maybe we haven't plotted a murder or anything like that, but is our pride any less offensive to God? Is our self-reliance any less offensive to God? Is a little light thieving from your employers, is that any less troublesome to God than, than what um, was happening in the life of Joseph? Is our gossip, or even maybe just bending the truth a little, uh, is that any less of a problem? And sometimes we can even tell the truth. But tell it in a way that somehow distorts the situation. And that bothers God as well. Just this past week, we were, uh, the, the three of us at home were having, uh, having, having supper. We were just about ready to sit down and eat. And uh, Christopher and I were sitting at the table and Lydia was, was just in the kitchen getting one or two last things. And Lydia uh, calls out from the kitchen and he says, she says, is there a knife and a fork on the table? And Christopher and I sort of look at each other and we look at the table. And, you know, in both of our minds, it's like the answer to that question is yes. There is a knife and a fork on the table. And so we're tempted to yell, to, to say back, yes, there is a knife and fork on the table. But we know that what she's really asking is, is there, is there a knife on the fork on the table for me? And so there wasn't. And so we could, have been, we could have been 100% perfectly honest and said, yes, there is a knife and fork on the table. But we know what she's really asking. And it would have been some deceit there to say, to say yes, when we know what she really wants to know, is there a, a, a place setting for her on the table? So we kind of looked at each other 
made the right decision and said, no, you need to bring a knife and fork for yourself. There isn't one for you here on the table. So we did the right thing. But we could, be, we could have answered that question 100% honestly and still been deceptive. Because we knew what she was asking. And we didn't really answer the question. Sometimes even being 100% honest, we can be deceptive. So we are all flawed people. And the fact that it even ran through Christopher and, and, and my mind that we would, we would say, yes, there is, just points to our own flaws, doesn't it? So like Joseph and his brothers, we are flawed people. We should not let those things define us, those flaws in us define us or hold us in bondage and say, God can't use me because of my flaws. God knows your flaws. And He wants to use you anyway. God used people like Peter who denied Christ three times. And Jesus restores him. And God uses him. So, we don't need to be discouraged by that. We just need to recognize that all of us are flawed people, just like what we see in Genesis 37. Then, flawed people end up coming up with flawed plans. The plan to murder, which is not a good plan. Reuben comes up with a plan to rescue Joseph, but that doesn't seem to be uh, the right thing to do either. He, he, he comes up with kind of a sneaky way to, to get around his brother's plans. And the brothers make a plan to deceive their father Israel. And so these flawed people come up with flawed plans and we do that too sometimes. Hopefully we have some good plans that come up uh, along the way. And we see the Bible has... Uh, accounts of people coming up with good plans, plans that God approves and plans that God blesses. But sometimes we come up with plans that aren't any good. And are plans that, uh, uh, that are, are not helpful. And plans that are not honoring to God. And when we come up with those and when we start to think about those things, don't stick around, but get away from those plans. Be aware of what you're trying to do and move away from that. I remember one time in university and it was one of those things where I was, on, I was in dorm and I was on a floor with a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, we were, there, was, there was one guy on our floor that, uh, that nobody really liked very much at all. And uh, so there was two or three of us sitting around in the lounge uh, one afternoon and we were talking about how we could prank this guy uh, that we didn't, didn't like very much. And it was, uh, all three of us were in engineering, so, you know, the pranks start to get more and more elaborate as you, as you try and work out what you could do. And, uh, and then we got, we got fairly much into it, and we, it, the, the conversation kind of went in a weird way, and we ended up coming up with a plan to electrocute this guy as he touched his doorknob. <laughs> and, and, and just before we got to that point, someone else came into the lounge and of course, by that time, our plans to prank had escalated quite uh, dramatically. And we were just getting to the point of now talking about how we can electrocute this fellow. And the, guy, the other guy who came into the lounge said, you aren't really going to electrocute Dave, are you? And we were like, no, no, we're just, we're just brainstorming. Of course we're not going to electrocute Dave. But somehow our mind moves in that direction. We actually did come up with a plan to electrocute Dave. We, were never, we had never had any intention to carry it out, but certainly the plan was there. We need to be careful when we make those plans that we don't, uh, we don't get into that 
sort of situation where our plans escalate and finally it becomes a plan that really is a horrible plan, but we've invested in it and we've lost perspective and we end up uh, keeping on with the plan. So here we have some, some flawed people making some flawed plans. We don't want to get into that kind of situation. Reuben tries to counter the, the brother's plan for killing Joseph and it kind of works. But he, he tries to counter one sketchy plan with another one. Instead of, of Reuben just saying, guys, this is just a bad idea. You shouldn't be killing our brother no matter how much we don't like him. This is just wrong. Don't do it. Stop right now. Instead of doing that, he comes up with some scheme to get around it and it doesn't work out. It would have been the, the better thing for Reuben just to stand up to his brothers and say, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Do we do that sort of thing? Do we watch injustice around us and we come up with some sketchy plan to try and circumvent it instead of just standing up and saying, this is, just, this is not right. This shouldn't be happening. Sometimes we do that to avoid the consequences. You know, when I was in, in sales, some of the other sales guys would spin so many lies that uh, it, would all, it would spin out of control. They can't even remember what lies they've told the customer so that they can be consistent in this. They forget what they, were, uh, what they had said before and they just keep making things up. And it was always, it was always uh, um, a bit of a shame to, to watch and to listen to them do this because it was like, guys, you know, your customers are not, are not stupid. They know what's happened. You know, you might get away with, with one or two lies, but after a while, they, they know what's going on. And they, they've made a contract with us, so, you know, they, they can't break it, but they know what's going on, and you've lost all credibility. But sometimes we have a tendency to do that. And I always thought it was just better to stand up and tell the customers the truth. And they always seem to, if you, if you did it well and you... Uh, uh, you were honest with them and straight with them. They usually received it fairly well. And we figured out a way together if there was some problem that we had, that we figured out a way to get around it. Uh, but it was better than trying to, to, uh, uh, to tangle them up in lies and keep them happy. But those are the kind of plans we tend to come up with. Plans to, to do that, to deceive people. Plans to get rich. Plans to pr promote ourselves. Uh, and... All kinds of plans are possible. But sometimes we hang on to those that aren't very good. We let our emotions sometimes get the better of us and these plans go ahead and so we need to avoid them. The Bible tells us that we should just trust in the Lord, do good things, delight in the Lord, and He will make our paths. He will show us the way to go. It says, um, in Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light to thy path. If we want to know the, the plans that we should have, we need to let God's word illuminate those plans. Take God's word seriously. Listen to God. Delight in Him. Know Him. And let Him show you the way. And it comes down to priorities. For us, we can... Those can be summarized in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So, and, and, and seek His kingdom and His righteousness. 
Right? That's what we need to be doing in our plans. Seeking God first. So as we go uh, and we make plans for this week, how are our plans coming? How are they? Are they seeking His kingdom first? Putting God first in all of our plans? Or are they flawed plans like Joseph's brothers? The world is full of flawed people and plans and, and we are part of those flawed people and we make flawed plans. But we need to commit ourselves and our plans to God and let Him guide us and lead us. Don't become like Joseph's brothers planning and trying to carry out a murder and deception. Make sure our plans are honoring to God. Try and live our lives in ways that follow God's Word and do what He asks us to do. And so as we look at Joseph, we come to this and we see flawed people and flawed plans. But God can overcome. God can use us. God is able to overcome all of these things. We just need to let God work in our lives and bring our plans, bring ourselves before God so that our plans are right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You have shown us in Joseph, You have shown us a picture of a flawed family with flawed people making flawed plans. Lord, help us to follow You. Lord, help us to not fall to our sinful nature, but help us to seek Your kingdom and Your righteousness in who we are and what we decide to do and the plans we make, Lord. Let us do all for Your honor and Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.